Hey guys, welcome to another edition of the Inside Scoop. My name is Neil Crawford. I'm your host, and I'm also the founder of Anytime Soccer Training. Now, before we jump into this wonderful interview, I want to let the I want to remind the listeners that Anytime Soccer Training is the only training application that has over 1,000 training videos, all 100% follow along. I was just talking to someone on Facebook who shared a program that her child uses and you know, my philosophy is always use all of the above. So anything that gets your child out there touching the ball is great. Start with playing with them first. But in my questions, I was asking sort of, is it 100% follow along? No, they have to hit next and next drill and this kind of thing. And that's fine. Is there a library of thousands and thousands of videos? No, they post various moves each sessions each week and then they have two or three weeks. They have a library, but it's limited. And then it also didn't look as if it followed a logical progression. And finally, it probably costs 12 times, 12 to 15 times, I'm being generous, more than an annual subscription at any time soccer training. So that is my way of saying I have priced this thing and we're trying, I priced this thing in a way that it can be an add-on to anything you're doing. It's not a, it should not be an either or. So if you, you know, I have to do my um, Obamacare. If you like the trading app you're using, then you can keep it. This is just can be an add on to, to that. But equally important, I'm trying to price it for families who are already doling out a lot of money for um, youth soccer training and stuff to have something that's convenient, professionally done, but also doesn't break the bank. So check out anytime-soccer.com. To learn more about what we do, join the mailing list and we'll send you more content like this. Now, let's get on to the show. Now, this is a special show. Now, guys who have been listening to the, to the Inside Scoop know that I like to go around and interview people all over the world and sort of juxtapose what we do in the States to what they do in their respective country and use youth soccer as the median medium to sort of exchange cultural ideas. And we're going to do that a little bit today. But now, today, I'm actually talking to a player who is living it right now, and I'm going to introduce him, uh, but just to give you some background, I met him at the training facility that uh, I do some drills, uh, sorry, some clinic, a clinic at, and he had a wonderful story, and I thought I would share. So, Hugo. Yes. I'm not going to butcher your last name. <laughs> people know, people who listen to the show know I'm a country boy, and I always butcher, butcher your name, so... Yeah. Just for the record, go ahead. What's your name? Uh, Hugo Kampanen. Hugo, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Now, let's go to the end of the story first, and mm-hmm. then we're going to go all the way back to your early childhood. Gotcha. And for the purposes of this, because our listeners won't, they'll be listening to it. How old are you now? Uh, 21 years old. Okay, so you're 21. So we're going to start at the end of the story and go all the way back. Gotcha. So your most recent professional, if, and if that's how you characterize a professional, semi-professional, you can let me know. Yeah. What was your most recent professional slash semi-professional experience? Um, so recent uh, would be semi-pro. Um, we're actually in the middle of preseason right now for the spring season, but I played a fall season um, for the months of September till December. But yeah. what, what club? Uh, San Lee, the yeah, UPSL team in Sanford, North Carolina. Okay, so we got a lot of listeners, so I want to unpack that. You're playing right now for a local 
semi-professional team in North Carolina. And yes. what was the acronym you used for the for the league or the uh, UPSL? UPSL. Yes, okay, sir. then this don't worry. This is just to get the so the folks can get their head around you. You. Right. You. Okay. So before that, you were where? Uh, I was in Ecuador. Okay, and you were playing for? Uh, I was playing. I was on. I was registered for two teams. The latest team that I played for was Liga de Macas, and they play in the Segunda category. And before that, I was rostered to a team called uh, River FC, but I had transfer problems and the Finnish FA and the Ecuadorian FA weren't getting the same paperwork. So I actually was registered for a team, but I never got to play. Okay. All right. And then before Ecuador, you were where? I was in Finland. So this is 2020 now. So yeah, I was playing third division in Finland. Okay. All right, so we just want to get our heads around. That's that's the end of the story. And now what we're going to do is go back to talk about sort of uh, the beginning. Right. So your parents, so you're an American citizen. Yes. But, what, all right, so then tell me how your parents met. How are you Finnish? And you were saying your, your mother is Indonesian. So how, yeah. just give us some background there. And that right. has relevance in terms of us obviously getting to know you. We're just talking about those visa issues. Right. So um, my father is Finnish from Finland and my mother is Indonesian. Uh, my father met my mom in Indonesia, who was working for the Finnish embassy at the time. So um, they ended up getting married and moving back to Finland. And that's when it had me. And so then how did you then get to the States? Um, so we moved to the States when I was nine years old. I came here in the third grade. Um, before we moved to the States, we actually moved to England. So, um, I lived in Finland from the ages of, until I was four years old, um, lived in England until I was nine and then went from third grade all the way to my sophomore year in college, uh, in the U S. Okay. So when you were in England, you dropped a little, uh, fun fact that you actually, uh, were part of the Chelsea youth Academy. Yeah. <laughs> so unpack to the best of your ability. Now you gotta know you're a nine at the time. So right. so do the best you can. Yeah. Maybe I ask, ask your parents how that look, get their perspective as well. Right. But to the best of your ability, describe that situation. How did you start? Um, how did it even start? Right. I remember faintly um the club sending scouts to um our local uh it's called a primary school, so our local elementary school. And after school, they, um, I just remember doing drills, they set up um, games. So basically just a bunch of seven, eight year olds running around and they're just trying to see, you know, who's got a touch on the wall already, who looks athletic, who, um, who, who looks athletic enough to where, you know, we want that guy in our team, especially at a high level like Chelsea. Um, so that was a good experience in itself. Um, now, hold on, dude, to the best of your ability, do you recall if they were wearing any Chelsea gear? Yes. So you knew it was Chelsea. Yes. Yeah. We, we already knew beforehand um, that this was this was an opportunity given to the whole school. So uh, it was whoever wanted to um, whoever wanted to showcase their skills, I guess, in front of these scouts. Indeed. And so, is it a situation? And now I'm just kind of like putting my literature cap on. Where some people were like into soccer, but no, I don't want to do that. I, I don't know. I, there's a lot. Of, I have so many memories of playing, playing football in recess and remember people talking about Fernando Torres. You know, this is when Ronaldo 
Wayne Rooney. This was back in 08, so um, 08, 09. So this is when Manchester United, Liverpool, like English football was really hitting its peak. And I just remember everybody was obsessed with the game. Okay. Everybody. All right. And so then they, did they, you think they sent a note home to your parents? Like, okay, we're going to have this opportunity. You can stay after school situation. Yeah, probably. Um, that's probably the best. Yeah. And then you're saying it was at least an hour, like a training session, laying cones down, blah, 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 this kind of yeah, thing. I, it's hazy. I don't know if it was a day or two, but um, yeah. And then to the best of your memory, how did you find out you got selected? That's weird. It's, I, I do remember just getting invited constantly to their practices. Um, I don't really remember that moment, but there, I do remember the moment of, okay, I'm about to go visit Stanford Bridge for the first time. I'm about to go see the first team locker room. I'm about to go see the training facility. So I do, I do remember that aspect, but not the aspect of being told of, you know, you just got into this academy. So when you went to see the Stanford Bridge, um, well, Stanford Bridge and saw the locker room and all kind of stuff. Right. In your mind, that was just like amazing. That would probably would have been an amazing experience, right. right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. So you going down memory lane? I don't think my boys can remember what they had for lunch yesterday, <laughs> let alone all this detail. And actually, as an aside, I always tell parents that's one of the reasons why we have to take a chill pill hmm. because <laughs> if my I have a son that's twelve. And right. this may not apply to him now, but I have one that's eight. It'll definitely apply to him. If we moved and went to another city and never talked about the soccer, the club that they played at here, yeah. By the time they got your age, they would vaguely remember. Yeah. They, would, they would even struggle to remember the name. Like you remember Chelsea because it's Chelsea. Right. And so it's sort of like, guys, let's just relax in the moment because this stuff is not that serious. You're not even going to remember it. Like you're not even going to remember the club, let alone the, that particular play that your child messed up on. So that's just my little PSA to say, let's put this stuff in perspective. All right. Do you remember anything about the level of play of the kids? Did anything stick out to you as being that different or was it just part of so much part of the culture that it kind of, was what it was I like I do remember playing at recess the one thing is like kids were slide tackling on concrete kids were really like like I I the one thing I do like remember is like passion just like playing like playing when like we were playing at recess whether it was like the year threes against the year fours there was passion and that's really what I remember like coming in like after um recess or whatever and just being covered in like grass just being sweaty like yeah and I think that's the big thing was just the passion that you could feel at such a young age um and then the final thing on that do you remember kids playing any other sports to the best of your ability to remember when you were in London that's not not in England I think if you were I think the only thing I saw were girls probably playing hopscotch or throwing a ball on the wall but everybody everybody <laughs> When I moved to England, the first that was the first time I saw netball, which I thought was netball, the most yeah, yeah. That was the weirdest sport. I'm like, that's like basketball, but you can't dribble or something. Right, or you right. only take two dribbles, yeah, and then no. the goal didn't have a back backboard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, all right, all right. So fast forward. Now you're in the states, and yeah. you said something interesting to me when we met in person that I got on film that I shared with the Facebook group. Um, you did not play 
club soccer at first. No. So how would you describe your parents' attitude towards sports in general, especially uh, soccer? Uh, at that time, like obviously my family was, um, I want to say just from living in England, I guess my father was into football. I do remember like watching Champions League final, um, uh, the 08 Moscow final where Man United won the PKs. Very vivid memories of watching uh, Man United win that. Um, I think my family was into football, but the second we moved here, um, I think it wasn't really a priority for them to find me a club. And at the same time, there's not like a layout where my parents could see like, oh, this is a good club for them to join. Oh, this is this is worth his time. It's not as simple as it would be if you were, you know, in England where um, the teams are coming to you. We're not having to go to the teams themselves. Yeah, so when you moved here, did you move to, to Cary, North Carolina, or this area now, Raleigh? Yeah. yeah, Apex, yeah. Okay, you moved to Apex. But, and so, and then in terms of the attitude towards sport. Right. Did your father work, or mother, quote unquote, work with you? Like, okay, we're going to go out of the yard and we're going to do these things. Yeah, so this uh, this actually, um, so my mind, my dad was a Division One. So the reason we actually moved to North Carolina, my dad was a Division One athlete at High Point University. Okay. He had a full scholarship to play tennis there. So that's actually the reason we moved to this area was because my dad already knew of um, Raleigh and of North Carolina. So I guess, yeah, like growing up, like sports was a big thing for him. But I don't remember him forcing. Obviously, he wanted me to try as many sports, but there was never like, like I'm forcing you to play tennis. I'm forcing you to play soccer. I'm forcing you to play basketball. But yeah. Okay. So he has an athletic background. He obviously knew what it took right and man that must have been his story would probably be interesting to get recruited from finland to play in the states he he barely knew any english and he barely scraped on the sats <laughs> then uh yeah but he came here and yeah he played really well and he held his own so it's, it's a great story actually yeah but in terms of the details in terms of the specifics and let me give you some context when I have people who play something at a high level, I like to understand what their childhood was like in a little bit more detail. You share what you feel comfortable with. Right. But did your father ever say, okay, soccer is going to be your thing. We're going to go out in the yard and we're going to do whatever he considered to be helping you improve individually. Um, I, I do remember, let's say, occasionally going to like a field, him training with me, but not like, we're going to go outside and train right now. It was, it was more of a, you, it's up to you, you know, but now that, uh, so I have three siblings and with the youngest one, it's like kind of different. Now it's like, we're going to go practice our left foot for 15 minutes outside. Um, so with your youngest one who and you're like, is different. And that's actually kind of interesting as well. So in my generation, I'm older than you, mm-hmm. but it would have been considered unusual to say the least for a parent to actively work with their kid in specific skills for for a for a uh, sport. This right. would have been extremely unusual. I never even, it's not even something they even thought about. Mm-hmm. So the closest is my dad used to coach baseball and I uh, pitched a little bit. So he had my cousin who was almost like my uncle mm-hmm. who used to be a pitcher in college, show me like how to throw a curveball, that kind of thing. Right. But it wasn't like, you're going to go outside and work on this pitch. It was just more like, Hey, your cousin used to pitch. Let me Mm -hmm. bring him over here. 
and he's going to show you a few things. And then he would give me a few pointers here and there, but it was nothing. It was literally pointers is the closest I could give to it. So I understand that. Right. Um, but then I want to take a step back to say, okay, that's a generational thing. But now you are crossing generations slightly with your youngest brother, who is seven. Yes. Is Are you or your parent, dad, more intentional about what they do, what you do with him? Yes. So give me an example of that. Um, uh, I, I could I could walk outside and probably see him playing for just 15, 20 minutes spurts. He's giving him tips, telling him to use his left foot, telling him, uh, you know, what drills do you want to do? Let's work on your touch. You know, you should work on juggling. I've, I've walked into my dad's office and seen my little brother just passing the ball against the couch, counting okay. 50, 51, 52. So, so, so your brother's going to have a degree of intrinsic motivation, yes. but is your dad ever saying, hey, guy, hey, um, little, little fella, this right. is, we're going to do this today for 15 minutes and then we can do this or basically him saying, no, I don't want to do it. Or I don't want to do it right now. And your dad being like, no, you have to do it. Uh, with my brother, I've never seen my brother say no, actually to wanting to go play. So I think that's also a good thing because my brother, my youngest brother is one of the most motivated footballers. I've trained with him you know, every day and uh, we'll do a drill. And he's like, make sure I use my left foot. And he's hyper, he's aware of that. And he's only seven years old. So it's perfect. My dad um, gets to be more involved in his training. And it's not like he has to force him because my youngest brother loves just spending the time playing. Yeah. So with my older one, I, I noticed it was, I don't know how to describe it. He was precocious in terms of his uh, attention span, mm-hmm. beard. So every kid, every person has their own thing. And so for right. my older one, it wasn't as much of intrinsic motivation as it was. I mean, he had that, but that wouldn't, I wouldn't consider that to be off the charts. It was more like a discipline. Like, hey, if you want me to do this 15 minutes, we're going to do this for 15 minutes. And, mm-hmm. and then that's kind of what I'm going to do. Yeah. My younger one, on the hand, is more of a playful. So he likes for you to play with him a lot more. Now it may sound weird talking about kids, but mm-hmm. there are like all kids like to play, but there are some kids who like to play more than others. Right. And my younger, older one was more matter of fact, he'll play with you, but it's at the same time. He was very matter of fact. My younger one on the hand, he wants to play with you all day. And that's right. just how kids are. All right. Fast forward. But the reason we, the reason I wanted to go down that road is to say, okay, what did your parents do in addition to putting you into soccer they helped you get to that professional, you know, that professional pathway. Right. Okay. So they knew nothing really about the club stuff. They put you in rec. Yes. And you played rec soccer up until you were about 15. Yeah. Um, I want to say nine to 14, nine to 15. Yeah. But how would you compare yourself to your friends who played club all the time? I know you don't, I know right. at that age, you're not sitting around comparing yourself to kids, but that's the part I can't picture though. Right. Because a club I, kid, let me just be clear. Yeah. The typical club kid is going to get three days of tra- training from a quote unquote professional coach plus mm-hmm. games, all these tournaments. And then their parents, a lot of times are going to be alpha. So it wouldn't have been as popular as it was back in your day as it is now, but it's still uh, very much getting the private training. Right. So given that context, how would you compare your rec? skills i guess you'd say or yeah what? honestly not that good i guess 
I guess until 12, 13, I was kind of getting away with just, I don't, I don't want to say insane talent, but I would say I had to a certain degree some talent. I knew how the game should be played, which I think is a lot different when you're 13, 14, you might not be the best, but if you know how the game is meant to be played, then there's different ways to, you know, make yourself better. But yeah, we only trained like once a week, you know, we had the cotton jerseys that we used <laughs> days, you know, only one game, one game day a week. But at this time in my life, I don't think football was really like a big, big priority for me at the time. Um, for me, it was just, like we said earlier, it was like an activity, a hobby. It wasn't something where I was like, I need to go play for a big club. Um, so, yeah, wreck until 13, 14. And so I was when playing, you play re- – oh, go ahead. Yeah, and I was playing a few different sports. I played a season of rec baseball, um, same thing with basketball. So I was, I was kind of trying a little bit of everything at this time. Yeah, that was going to be my question. So when you were playing rec, did you play other other sports? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Baseball and uh, basketball. But I, I feel like having – because you watch the game, because you live in England, you, your parents, um, your dad's European and that kind of stuff. Yeah. You're gonna, you would have had a better understanding of the game than the average American kid who doesn't watch it. So I might not have been training or playing as much as them, but I was – you know, I've been upset you know, playing FIFA since I was five years old. Crazy. On my little PlayStation 1, you know, I was watching Champions League games. I was watching Premier League games, and I think that was the difference – even though I was only training once a week, twice a week on my own, I was studying the game and I just, I just like, I just had a good understanding of, you know, spatial awareness, good understanding of tactical, tactical awareness. And I think when I did end up going back to playing at a high level later in my, in my youth, I think that's what was able to keep me on the same level with everybody else. So then you go to club. So how did that work? um 14 or 15 I went to a few tryouts I went with a club called Carolina Soccer Club they're not a club anymore no but I played with them for one season we were one of the better teams in my age group at the time I think like top three top four in the state um but I was out of shape you know a little chubbier than everybody else so I was the memories I have was just sitting on the bench a lot um and you know you go from playing rec where it's all about fun you know nobody was yelling at me ever and then I went into an environment of oh you know my coach is um not necessarily a jerk but screaming all the time and got this fire and now I'm sitting on the bench I just wasn't enjoying football as much um anymore when I look back and remember at that time and so then what did you do I, I was I was playing forward at the time. Um, our goalie got injured and our backup goalie was also hurt. And the coach was like, does anybody want to try? This is about halfway through the season. I was a pretty tall kid at this time. I don't remember exactly how tall. I'm six foot four now. And to put it into perspective, my brother is a freshman in high school and he's 5'10". Okay. Probably around that height. Um, probably shorter. So I played goalie the second half of the season. I really enjoyed it. Got a lot of high quality um, training with like the best goalie coaches in the area, like really learned a lot about the game, but I just did not enjoy playing goalies. So once uh, the season ended, dropped being a goalie and went back to playing rec soccer. And how did, what role is your parents playing this? Did you talk to them about this or is it Um, more like whatever you wanted to do situation? 
Right. It was more of whatever I wanted to do. My at this time, it was just me, my sister, my third brother. And, you know, they're all really young. And I think at this time, my parents were just more focused on just, you know, our studies, our school, not really sports or not so sports oriented. And yeah, there was never any pressure for my parents growing up about sports. And I think that's why my motivation has lasted so long because I've never, I just, I didn't burn out. And I think that's why, like, I'm able to keep going as hard as I can because I, my childhood set me up not burn out. So. Absolutely. So then you go back to rec and then, and then how do you then fast forward to becoming a professional or no, no, you went to college then, right? Right. Um, Yeah. So I played, uh, so after that, I played challenge for two years up until I want to say 16. So 14 to 16 was challenge, not rec, which still is a little higher in level, but obviously still not getting like the most professional training. But at this point, I'm training like two to three times a week with the challenge team, getting playing time, traveling. And on top of that, I was playing with my two best friends at the time. So that's when I really started to love football more. Um, for, I would say from the age of 15, 16, I was starting to train on my own more, asking my teammates, hey, let's go. Let's go to the field. Let's go do this. Um, that's when it really flipped the switch for me. Okay. Um, yeah. And so then how do you go from challenge to playing at a high enough level to get noticed for college? Yeah, so I played challenge 16 and then my last two years, 17 and 18, went to Wake FC, tried out for a classic team. I made it. And at that point, um, I you know wasn't the chubby kid anymore. I was pretty lanky. I'm like 6'2", probably 160 pounds at this point. Um, and I was just really confident just because I had played for two years at challenge which I thought was a decent level at the time. And, you know, that's all you really need is just to think that you're playing at a good level because confidence is everything. So I was confident and played challenge for two years and I got a lot of good film. And um, I was finally getting like really good professional coaching at this time, which, um, and my motivation was there, like I was saying. So at this time, a lot of kids are thinking about just being a regular student in college, but I was, I was late to the game. So I was like, so I worked harder. But since I wasn't burnt out, you know, like I was okay with that. Yeah. So you were peaking at the right time and then you had that motivation anyway. Right. And it wasn't like you were being on a, you've been on a club grind for 10 to 15 years. Okay. Right. So you're at, but then, okay. So how did it, how does, how did the college recruiting process work for you? In yeah. A so I thought my junior year that it's well, all throughout high school, I was going to these ID camps and I do remember going with my dad, even at like sophomore sophomore year um and I just could not compete (laughs) I just could not compete um even until senior year so junior year ended and I was hoping I'd have some offers nothing nobody I was going to ID camps nobody really you know gave me the second look um at this point honestly I was thinking about transferring to a public high school because I was going to a private school and my high school was getting a new uh, a new coach for the team he sat me down and he said, listen, if you if you come play for me, I promise you I will get you a scholarship. Promise wow. you I'll get you an offer. And I was like, okay, I can either quit, go to Apex, uh, Apex High School, try to join their varsity team. Chances were pretty low. I went to a summer workout. I just I just wasn't up to par with them. And at this time, you know, I'm 17, I'm 18. 
So I decided to stay at my local high school. We're like a 1A school. And um, yeah, we, we won the state championship my senior year. I scored um, 40 goals in a year. It wasn't the best competition. Um, I was MVP, but that winning that gave me a lot, a lot of confidence to go into college. And so winning the state championship, um, after I won the state championship, I had like six, seven offers only from division three schools though. But um, at the end of the day, I had no offers starting senior year. So I was just blessed. I was so, I was so proud that, you know. So I yeah, and first of all, when you start talking about college, you know, in division three, a lot of that stuff is just classification anyway, because we talked about the level of yeah. division one to division three is not astronomical. It's not like Alabama football it, versus no. Duco. The, no, a lot of these parents do. I had a I had a lot of teammates in Division Three where I was like, dude, the wrong people just saw you. Like, I've I've had I have teammates now that I think if they had gone to a, a Division One school for four years, MLS draft picks for sure, for sure. Really? But it's just you know they didn't get seen by the right programs. They didn't think you know it, soccer is an opinions game is what I've learned and you're going to get rejected more times than you're going to get a contract or you're going to get a yes. So, so when you, all right, so you win the state championship and when you say you got offer letters, these are colleges that you then reached out to. And then you're saying they were then interesting, interested because you're able to say, Hey, I've done X, Y, and Z. And I have this footage. Correct. Yes. And then where did you settle on? Uh, Methodist university in uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina. Okay, so you go there, and what position did you play there? Uh, so at this time, I was still a striker. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. All right, so you go there to play striker. And then what was that like? Uh, my freshman year, man, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I've just been really lucky, like, my whole career. Um, my freshman year, my roommate, uh, Ulysses Sanchez, love that guy. I think he is a reason I'm at this level. I hope he watches this. I'm going to mm-hmm. have to screenshot this, but – um. Yeah, so I uh, got paired up with this kid named Ulysses, and I just remember him tearing me down from the start. He was like, dude, you're awful. Like, what is this? Like, by the end of the day, he was like, I'm going to help you be the best player that you can. And uh, so he really helped me develop a lot the year and a half I was there. My freshman year, he, my roommate and another freshman were the only two starters um, on our team. So this kid was really, really good. Um but my friend, give me an example of something your roommate did. Mm. Ulysses. We were we were in Alabama. He was on the bench, injured, and our coach goes, You see that freshman over there? That's my best player. You're lucky he's injured. And at that point, I just knew like this kid was different. This kid was different. Um, he's you wouldn't think much of him. He's five seven, super small, skinny build. But the second you see him play, he's he's the orchestrator, you know, connecting the strings. But what did he do? And I want to make sure I get the folks um, correct. Your the mentor slash friend. What did he give me an example of something he did to help you with your development? Um, just after practices, before we we were. This is really when I developed that mentality of okay, if you want to be a good player, it's an every it's a lifestyle thing. It's an everyday thing, and that's what he showed me. he really instilled a work ethic into me. He comes from a, a Mexican background, Hispanic background, you know, grew up working construction. 
So he really showed me like what it truly meant to put in hard work on a pitch. And I'd never really learned to push myself at this time. So I think it came at a perfect moment. You know, I'm 18. I, I was playing every game as a freshman. I was usually the first, um, one of the first guys off the bench. And so, which is good, you know, that gave me motivation to keep training hard. So I saw a lot of players just sit all year, but I, uh, coming off the bench you know I had confidence I was a good player but my roommate was like you know you're so much better than you can be so much better if you put in the work and that's really what he taught me was how to really put in the, the hard work okay so how many how many training hours and you tell me the metric you would use hmm. but the reason for this question and then we're going to hop to the professional is I want to understand the difference between how long you train in a college environment versus how long you train in a professional environment. Okay. So let's talk first. Let's talk about the year. Yeah. Of the year, how many months are you doing team training activities? Okay. So if you're in school from say August till May, how many months is that? Nine months. Yeah. Okay. So I'm in school nine months. So the regular season is three months. And the regular season is like living hell. So you're waking up at 5 a.m. for preseason runs and then going to classes and then having a 3 p.m. practice and then having to do homework and sleep. Do that again for three months. So three months, three months, you know, training hours, at least like 15 Monday through Friday in terms of practicing morning practice film session being in the athletic room i would say 15 to 20 hours yeah Monday. okay so that's 15 20 hours on top of then all your academic stuff yes and that can look like early morning runs did you do any early morning soccer stuff yeah yeah At like the crack of dawn because the second all uh, division three schools were allowed to train like we were out there so like 5 a.m 6 a.m the lights were on um, and that that only really lasted like the first three weeks of preseason was those early morning trainings, six in the morning. And at that age and that level, did, you, did the coaches have any issues with people like not showing up, not being on time, that kind of stuff? Or was everybody pretty uh, locked in? Yeah, they were pretty locked in. We, uh, my freshman year, we had a good senior class who was very um, – uh, it, once I became a sophomore and I saw the other senior class, uh, like I realized my freshman year, we had a very motivated senior class, which kept everybody in check. You know, nobody like if you were late for practice once or twice, like you're cut. So we had a very cutthroat coach. OK. All right. So then what do you do the three months after the three months? So the rest of the calendar year. Yeah. After that, we only train for one month in spring season, which is uh, it's actually going on right now. So March, March, mid-March to mid-April, you're training spring season. And that looks like preseason. You're training same thing, 15 to 20, 15 to 20 but, hours a week. But when you say spring season, are you saying that they have two seasons? Yeah, your spring season is not a regulated NCAA season. So you're... So for a D3 school like us, a preseason looks like playing one or two Division II schools, playing one or two Division I schools, and then playing like a like a tournament that some local schools would uh, create. So this is more pre – this is like the preseason to the preseason. Okay. And I might have to unpack that um, separately. Right. 
because I'm a visual person. Like you may have to get a whiteboard out and be like, okay, this is January, this is December. Because I can picture it, but I can't picture it. Right. But uh, so we may have to circle back on that one. All right. But the bottom line is in season is about 10 to 15 hours, a, a complete grind. Then yeah. you're playing games as well. Then you have a spring season. It looks sort of like that um, season, mm-hmm. but it's a little bit shorter. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. So then when you're not doing any of the seasons and you're not any of that stuff, are you doing any team training? Um, we were training without the we on it was more of a setup so we had like we had a time where we were like all right we're gonna play pickup at four o'clock we're gonna play pickup at three o'clock coaches were not there um so whenever we weren't in season uh this is really when a lot of kids were this is when i really saw a lot of kids training on their own and that's when i got the mentality of okay like i can't wait i can't just sit for a month like i need to train now for, for spring season. Um, okay, so so even though the coaches were not allowed per NCAA rules, yes, and that's actually a kind of a, a, a irony there that high school kids can get more contact hour than hours than NCAA kids. Right. That doesn't mean anything about the quality, but the point is, it's kind of a weird situation, right? Yeah. So, but you guys had scheduled pickups, and then that's when you saw the individual training kick in. Right. We were doing... Uh, we would, we would play pickup for an hour or two, and then you know slowly after an hour or two, kids filter out. You know, kids need to go to dinner, and then that's when you see four or five kids staying behind and really just working. That's when I really started seeing that work ethic um, that you read about in professionals, but it's different when you see kids your own age, you know, doing that. And I'm gonna ask a maybe a dumb question, maybe not, and then we go on to the professional ranks. So did you see a relationship between the kids who were putting in the extra work and their success or not success on the, on the actual field? It's split. There's kids that were, like I said, it's division three. There's kids that uh, should be playing division one. So they really didn't even want to train extra because they were already better than the competition. And then I saw a lot of kids who barely scraped into division three sitting in the bench. And they're like, I made it. I'm going to work, I'm going to work. And eventually their junior, senior year, you know, they're starters. So it's a little bit of both, you know, uh, there's uh, there's really one player in mind, uh, <laughs> really, really talented player, really, really good player. Um, I molded my game after him because he was a he's six foot four center back. But um, I just think if he, if he had that work ethic, man, this kid could have been something special, but no. Oh, he didn't. So I can understand that because Division Three is going to be a hodgepodge of talent, right? You also have the grades issue as well that's going to be thrown in there. And then soccer is just complicated anyways. So you're going to have some kids who might be amazing, but not putting in the work ethic, uh, but still having some success at the Division Three level. And then you're going to have some that put in the work mm-hmm. and, then, and then blossom. Okay, so now let's fast forward. How do you get to Finland? Okay. Um, and why? Why? Okay, you're in college. What is? Why are you not saying to yourself, "Great, I'm gonna graduate, and I'm gonna," like, what's going on in your head now to makes that makes feeling even a thought in your thought? Yeah. So sophomore year preseason comes around. Um, we lost a lot. We lost our starting center back pairing, and two more dropped the team just to focus on studies. So we have a center back issue right now. And my coach is saying, 
Hugo, why don't you give it a shot? And we'll go through the whole season playing center back. And I'm probably three quarters through the season. And I'm thinking like, like I can do something with this. Cause I, I was I, my first season ever at center back and I like completely crushed it. Like okay. just destroyed it. And that, that I, that gave me the confidence. I don't think I could have gone to Finland as a center forward, but definitely, definitely could, could have like went to Finland as center back. Okay, so that was the first thing. You get into a position, and you're like, all right, this is a potential here. This is my bread and butter, right. Okay, and then what happened? I uh, I kind of had a falling out with a the coach. They don't really see myself playing for him for four years. And um, I don't know if I watched a documentary or something, but I, I got my film together. I watched it. I really, really liked it. And something in my mind was just like, just – just send just send this out see what could happen because I already was planning on moving maybe thinking of trying to go somewhere else they don't really have the best relationship with the coach at the time and um I just dm'd all these teams you know instagram emails I flooded so many people's emails and I woke up the next day had like five six responses and I was like okay well I'm gonna see how deep the rabbit hole goes and I think just the following two weeks, I was just mentally like trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And the more emails I sent and the more replies I got, it just gave me this confidence. And I was just, you know, why not? So I'm going to ask you a, a dumb question, kind of. But how do you find a list of Finnish clubs? Right. Yeah. Um, to, I, to even email. Yeah, yeah. So I, I also had no idea at the time, to be honest. I could, I honestly could have only named two teams in Finland. <laughs> yeah. I never watched the game. So I just typed in um, typed in the top three leagues in Finland. I got the list, copied and pasted it, and just started from the top, went to the bottom, typed in the club email. Uh, I've typed in a club website. You can look in coaches or, or rosters, information tabs, you're going to find an email and it's just, if you want to find them or not, if you want to put the time, you know, sending them. All right. Yeah. So you went to all the top three, you went to at least the top three. Yes. And then you got, I know how it works. You go to this about us or meet us and blah, blah, blah. Finally, you get some email. It could be admin at the club or sometimes they're going to have the coach's email address. Yes. Then you got to send something to them. Right. And then with your video and you said your video was between five and six minutes. Yeah. And then you sent over 300 and that includes DMs and then five or six came back to you. Is that fair? Um, let's see, five or six came back to me with trial offers, responses, maybe like 15, 20. Did anybody come back with to you? Thank you, but no. Yeah. So some people just come out. No, some people just go to ignore you, which is almost like a no. Ignore, ignore, I would say the biggest, the biggest response is no response. Yeah. So some people are gonna, not going to no respond. You don't even know where email they yeah. go to. So, I, gonna, go so I actually, I actually DM'd um, teams, my latest film. I was just bored one day and let's see, let's see from Finland. It DM probably about 25 teams and I think only two or three have seen them. Okay. Yet nobody replied for four seen them. But I did send it in English, so I feel like that could be why. That could be it, yeah. And you have to translate it as well. Okay, and then a couple come back with trial offers. Yes. And what 
how do how are they defining a trial offer? Um, let's see. So I had uh, one trial in the second division, and then after that, they were on the third division, which is where I eventually ended but, up. But what is a trial? To right, like a, a trial is depends. So some teams were like, "We'll give you three days um, to come trial," which is I'm part of the team for three days. Uh, some teams gave me a week. Um, some teams said it's a day by day thing. We'll see how it goes. So I kind of, I got a mix of all of that. Um, they gave you an apartment to stay or you stayed in a team house, you know, food was covered. Everything was covered except transportation. So when you do, when you go on a trial, what is that? What does that look like? Just give me one example of one yeah. experience you remember. The right, so let's see. The second division trial is the one that sticks out to me the most because um yeah so they just running like a normal training session i was there this, this team's called uh ase kayane ase kayane they're a second division um this was like at this time this was the highest level of football that i had experienced and uh so yeah we go there i met the other trialists there was about four or five guys two from korea actually so it was really cool just to see that um so i get picked up at the train station by the assistant coach I get dropped off at the team house and there's like six, seven guys there in a three, two or three bedroom apartment sharing one bathroom. One <laughs> it's 20 degrees outside. The sunlight's only there for four hours. This is about January. So it's 20 degrees Fahrenheit freezing. Um, but I was, so it was just a regular training session. You know, we started off with like plyometrics, warm up, going into rondos passing patterns um stuff like that but the week i was there they were already preparing for a preseason game so one of the drills i remember was building out of the back and i i was just getting abused man i'm telling you we were, uh, i was playing left center back we had the center backs uh split so our goal our objective was to get our objective was to get to the midpoint halfway line in like less than six passes and um I remember just getting the ball every time and I just never seen two people sprint at me so fast like that's when I really realized like okay the game is really really fast and I was just not at that point yet um, it's interesting you say that take it from a dumb American parent who's never played hmm. I asked the question once I was like well if you watch the game on tv right we go into night school. Okay. So if you watch the game on TV, a professional game on TV, mm. it doesn't appear that they're going that fast. Mm. It is no different than if you're in a helicopter or no, an airplane would be better. And you looking down in cars don't look like they're going that fast because you're right. so high, right? Right. So it's a little bit of that. It's a little bit of camera angles. It's a little bit of everything. Mm. But the first time I went to a professional game, it looked like human. Um, polo that's how they look like horses like just right. just right. running like an equestrian match yes and i was just joking with my um son about how different it is when you're really really close mm -hmm. and you really see how fast they're moving right so because a question i always had is if you score a goal and this is like really really dumb that's so dumb it's hard to even ask the question <laughs> why not just keep the ball in the back because they're not going to ever really be able to close you down enough to really 
take the ball from you because on TV it looks like they're moving really slow. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like, why not just why you already up one? Why not just keep it back there instead of trying to go forward? Now, the analogy I used is an analogy that a friend of mine gave me, which said, when you're pushing forward, it's almost like you're a boxer and yeah. you're you're hitting body blows because the defense has to defend. Right. And if you are a prize fighter and you're fighting against someone who uh, is not as good, hmm. they would love it if you give them time to take a breather right. and catch their breath um, because then they'll wait to the last few minutes and then just throw a flurry of punches. But if you're constantly moving and you're constantly on the attack, right. you just really wear them out, almost yeah. like a boxer throwing punches. Now that I've said that, like, give me your example. If you're in a professional match, is it, is it as simple as eventually they will put numbers forward to end up taking the ball from you if you just tried that strategy? My, my philosophy has changed. Now that I'm a center back, my thought is if we don't score, they will. That's, okay. that's how I think about it. I always tell my forwards, if you guys don't score, this other team will, because it's a mental game. And the second you put one or two goals on a team, they stop, right? You, they can't keep going. But when when the game is 0-0, zero, zero, anything can happen. And I, and that's always, that's been my philosophy the last two years is, you know, if we don't score, the other team's going to score. And that sucks because I'm a center back. But at the same time, you know, it's the until the game is is done, then anything can happen. So, but if you, if your coach, if you, if you had a strategy just to try to keep the ball in your own half and move it around and stuff, the yeah. other team will eventually put numbers for it in order to, to press you, to force you to do something. Is that a fair? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would, yeah, because what's going to happen most of the time if you're winning um, at the high level, that forces the other team to have to press. That forces them to have to work harder, um, which like, you know, we can pass it around the back for three or four, four or five switches, but eventually they're going to have a moment where it's like, we're going to go. So, and, it, and, if, and if it's one mistake in that area, you're done. Yeah. Like, like one of my coaches, one of my Ecuadorian coach, you know, I always said, you know, play stupid prizes, you know, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. And it's the same thing. Like, you know, after four or five passes, you just got to let the ball go because they can't score if it's all the way in their own, in their own half. So, so let's go back to that example of playing in the second division and then coming at you so fast. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> is it fast? Like, oh, oh my God, I do not have time to look and see who uh, I'm going to yeah. deliver the ball to. It was, it was humbling. It was, I've never been this humbled before. And like, I was, I was almost embarrassed to get the ball at times, but looking back, that's the best thing that could, could have ever happened to me. But um, it's like, I get the ball and at this point I hadn't trained my the mental side of the game to like know where if you don't know where you're going before you get the ball you're stuck that's the best way I could the second you take a touch there's two guys running at you full speed closing you down and they're out for blood so that's interesting yeah it's because and uh, I really didn't think there would be a big jump from Division Three to Second Division in Finland, and that was like the day I realized, like, okay, like this game is serious. There's way there's so many players in the world, like this game is this legit, you know. So <laughs> okay, yeah. so now you you make it on a third division Finnish team. Yes, and what 
is the training situation like there compared to college? Um, every everyday training, um, obviously. At this point where Finland, uh, Finnish philosophy is very much building like very athletic players, but um, with killer instincts. So we were in the gym almost, you know, every day, um, you know, morning training, evening training. Um, it kind Let me of ask you this then. Do they yeah. give you a piece of paper saying, hey, guys, this is going to be the schedule for the week? Or yeah. is it always the same thing? Or do you do different types of sessions in the mornings? Or, or how I can, does that uh, work? I can, let me run the, I'm going to open up my WhatsApp um, group chat so I can try to give you like a, like a list. So, but yeah, so every week we were given um, basically our schedule for the week um, with what's going to happen, what time is training. Um, so yeah, so like, okay, this is after a game. Uh, Monday own recovery training. This we're towards the last week of the season. So Monday recovery training, Tuesday um, seven to nine uh, pre-match talk. Thursday two hour training. Friday two hour training. So we we're on like week thirty eight at this point. So everybody's burnt out. Okay. Um, yeah. And then how do you compare the average level of player to? what you experienced in uh division three and then you would have played some division one yeah. kids um so the kids that i saw that were a few years like within my age range i told him like i told i was like they they were good enough where they could have wanted to go play d1 and d2 and funny enough some of those guys are actually playing uh division two right now here in the states oh um, really so you yeah, told, yeah. why did they they just decided that, that was a better opportunity for them yeah, uh, one of them, a uh, good friend of mine, Tony. He um, he was he uh, he was in their academy for a long time, but really didn't see much first team minutes for from the ages of seventeen to nineteen. And I had just come from the states, and he was really curious, and he had asked me a lot of questions, and that kind of actually helped him make the decision to come to the come to the states. So Where did he, he end up playing at? Uh, Erskine College. Where's that at? Erskine. I believe it's South Carolina. I know because I'm from South Carolina. I thought I heard that. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's a small I, school. Yeah. It's in the mountains, I believe. Yeah. But I, I, I know I've heard of that school. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. So he's there. All right. So some people, yeah. some, some, um, and that's what I always tell my son that they're going to be a lot more international students and, and international professionals who learn about this college thing. And they're going to be like, wait a minute. 20 degree weather in Finland or I can be yeah. in, you know, eight degree weather yeah. in South Carolina. Exactly. And on top of that, they get to live in the States and get to study. So, yeah. So, yeah. So if you go to division three in Finland, you will find, you know, younger players who are cut to come play division one, division two. Um, College. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And so what were the games like? And then we're going to fast forward to Ecuador and then we'd be done. Yeah. What what was what were the games like? How would you compare the games to the what you experienced in the U.S. The U.S. Um, it's it's weird. It's uh, I, I would say kids because I feel like college players are kids, but like this is the first time I really got to see like grown men play. And when you're playing, I, when you're playing for your career, you know everything is on the line for these guys. You know, um, so at this point. I'd never seen 
you know, just intense, intense games. I'll put it that way. I'd seen intense games in college, but they're not really, they're not as intense as you think it is. Um, obviously the playing style is faster. Um, and also kind of the mentality of, you know, let's, if we get a win, but it's not from playing beautiful, then we get a win and it's not from playing beautiful, you know? So. Yeah. So like, this is going to be a horrible example, but it's the only way I can describe it. So my older son plays, he guest plays occasionally in the local Latino league here. Mm. And when you compare the intensity of the kids to what the league that he plays for in his normal, like similar to wake FC kind of situation. Yeah. It's totally different, not good or bad. Mm. (laughs) Let's put it this way. Let me give you an example. I had never seen a seven or eight year old get a red card. (laughs) <laughs> until then right. you know like yeah. kid understands they're frustrated they're trying to win right they're not it's not like like in my son's league you know uh, we lose four nil you know it's okay all right we got our and, orange slices yeah <laughs> and, and it's nothing interesting as a matter of fact you could argue that's probably healthier because they're kids right but in his other league it's sort of like kids slapping the ground like yo we need to do something we got to get this thing together so i can extrapolate that to sort of professional versus collegiate right yeah yeah especially in the college situation you have options yeah Yeah. there it's like Mm -hmm. i'm trying to get signed right i'm trying to stay i'm trying to advance especially because i was changing from a division three to a Profession. I think if I was in a like a top division one program, I don't think the switch would have been that different, right? Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. But I was coming in from a division three program where a lot of the kids are just happy that they're on the team and a lot of kids are just happy they're getting off the bench, you know, they're posting pictures on Instagram. You know, <laughs> and then you like, man, if I, if you were dancing in the locker room after a loss, you don't want any of those grown men looking at you because <laughs> They'll, they'll sort you out they will sort you out and I at the time i'm also one of the youngest players on the team so um that's kind of like everybody's little brother you know they call me the american american boy even though i was finished yeah. <laughs> no i understand that yeah so did you have do you ever did you ever reach out to anyone any clubs in indonesia or any indonesian national team or anything that's, like that uh, that's 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 on the, on the list my mom's going to indonesia this summer and um uh, I have some like pretty famous family. I would say so. They got connections. So we'll we'll see. That might be we'll on see. the book for next year. All right. I'm gonna be talking to an <laughs> Indonesian national player. Okay, national team prospect. All right. So breaking news. Okay. So let's go to last five minutes. And I'm, it's been a long one. I told you it was gonna be a long one, but you know I wanted to get this stuff on audio, video. Last five minutes. You're in Finland. How do you decide, or what's the story behind getting to Ecuador? Okay, so um, I signed I had a two-year contract with a team. So I was there for the whole um, 2020, 2020 season. 2021 comes around. This is March, I want to say. I'm back in Finland for my second year to contract. We have a new coach, um, completely whole new lineup. I played one preseason game. Um, went pretty well. Um Let's see. One preseason game, three weeks into training, I get a get a call from my agent, basically saying like, "Would you be interested in playing in Ecuador?" And you know, I thought about it, and like, basically the next day, I'm like, "Yeah, you know, I've already played in Finland, 
this is always a country that I can always go back to considering I'm a Finnish citizen. So it's not like the opportunity to play in Finland was going to be gone. So that's how I thought of it. Uh, I said, yes, I never had a transfer before and I went about it the wrong way, actually. So it was a good life. It was a good lesson because uh, I didn't even know I needed a transfer fee to be uh, <laughs> to be in place. So I kind of kind of everything kind of got delayed a little bit, which was partly my fault, but it was a good lesson um, for the future. So, yeah, so I ended up coming home for about two, three weeks, and then I left to go to Ecuador. Okay. And then when you were in Ecuador, what was that like? What division were they in, the club? First uh, same, same division, third division. Um, they have it split into two categories. They have the first category, which is Serie A, Serie B, mm-hmm. and then the third division, which they call the Segunda category, um, which is really interesting. The way they run it in Ecuador is they run it from regions. So – um, if your team has eight regions, only four can qualify for the tournament. And then at the, at, towards the end of the year, August, September, there's a huge tournament in Ecuador with the teams in the third division. And it's like a 64, uh, like a March Madness type thing. Um, so that's how they run it in Ecuador, which makes it really interesting. Cause if you get into that tournament, that's when the top teams in Ecuador are watching. So if you get into that tournament, you have a great chance of, playing well and going higher up into those top two leagues. Um, okay. All right. And so is that sort of like an FA Cup type of situation, like in England? Uh, yeah, except you're only playing teams in the third division. There's probably like over uh, maybe like 100, 120 uh, third division teams in Ecuador. And then so only if your region has like 12 teams, then, you know, I think it's probably like only like the top three or four make it. Um, okay. That yeah. makes sense. And how would you compare your Ecuadorian professional experience to Finland? Finland. Finland. Uh, Ecuador was as simple as it gets training. As simple as it gets. I tell you what, we probably could have trained with one ball and a piece of yarn. <laughs> I promise you, it was the most simple training I've ever met. And as, as a player at the time, I was lacking the fundamentals. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what I needed was just simple training. I didn't need... I didn't need a bunch of high, like, technology, you know what I mean? I just needed the bare bones, and that's where I got in Ecuador. So uh, first few weeks of preseason, we're waking up before the sun gets out, and we're doing, um, like, one hour of fitness in the mornings, probably, like, 8, 7 a.m. And um, I've never had a preseason moment. I never had a moment in preseason where I was running where I was like, I'm going to throw up. Or I'm not going to make it until I got to Ecuador. Like, yeah, they, they would run us until we puked. There's different, different out there. I'm telling you. It's different. So how did that relate to the style they wanted to play then? Um, or so was that just cultural? It, cultural, but also the one thing I realized about playing was in, uh, in Ecuador, you were expected to win your 50-50s. You were expected to put your body on the line. And it didn't matter if you were a striker, midfielder, winger, center back, whatever position you were, you had to be willing to die on the pitch. And if you weren't, you the, the coach could see that. You know, it takes it's not doesn't take very long for a coach to see he's not putting his feet, you know, where he shouldn't be. So, um, and I think you know that's what they wanted. They wanted our mentality to be, um, you know, like it's it takes a lot to win and it hurts, but if you want to win, you got to go through the pain. And I think that's that's like. That's probably the best way I could put it, to be honest, is 
you're going to have to go through pain to win and we're going to train you to go through pain to win. But at the same time, it's simple, you know, it's not complicated. You know, the running hurts, but when you have the ball, it's, it's simple. And so the final question on your experience in equity, did they send out, how many hours did you practice compared to Finland or was it similar? And did they send out a weekly uh, schedule or was it more loose or how did that work? So in, in Ecuador, half the team lived uh, in, in a compound, basically. So half the team lived on site of the training facility. The other half didn't. Um, yeah, we, we got the same thing. We got a WhatsApp group chat, you know, schedule posted. One thing in Ecuador, though, is we never lifted weights. Never. They, they had a few cement weights that they made on their own. And we were never forced to do that. The only really thing we did for lifting was a bunch of squats push-ups you know but <laughs> so I went straight rocky yeah so I I so put put in perspective I went into I left Finland at a 200 pounds pure muscle pure strength I've had the, the biggest arms I'd ever had in my life I was tanked up went to Ecuador I left Ecuador weighing 185 pounds wow. <laughs> lost 15 pounds of muscle in Ecuador I went from looking like you know, like I could be the rock to like, like Rafael Varane, like straight stick. So, um, but, like why, that, but it's just the way it was. It's just, just it was all simple. the running and yeah. And in, uh, yeah, in Finland, we, I don't know, sometimes in Finland, it was, we had a day where we were PR, we were trying to hit PRs on like hip thrust and squats. And one of the only times I've ever gotten like an injury in the gym was in Finland. And then in Ecuador, it's like, why are we going to spend two hours in a gym when two hours touching the ball is way more effective? And that was true. And that really changed my way of lifting. Cause honestly, I was lifting like a bodybuilder when I was in Finland. And then mm -hmm. ever since Ecuador, I'm very athlete oriented when I lift or when I train in the gym, I'm not just benching anymore. That's pointless. I'm doing, you know, single leg exercises, you know, I'm working on balance, explosiveness, reaction, stuff like that. You know what? And we're going to end on that note because that's part of my education as well um, because I didn't play sports at a high level like that, only in high school hmm. in the Stone Ages. Um, so it's sort of like trying to get, trying to understand sports performance versus right. sort of general health and, yeah. and then American football type strength, but just yeah. that explosiveness, plyometrics, this, injury prevention. Yeah. So, cause in, in Finland, the one thing I will say I saw the most was I saw a lot like for center one time I, uh, we played against a team that played a four, three, three and their front three were all six foot two and above all 185 pounds. And then you go to Ecuador and these guys are sticks. These guys are skinny, but they flow so well, they flow with the ball, they dance with the ball and and that's when I realized, I was like, you know what? If you're fast, you're technical, you will never get touched. You will never get touched. Yeah. And that's, and that's yeah, that's all that matters. So, wow. Hey, Hugo, thank you guys. This has been a, a longer edition of the Inside Scoop. Hugo, you're heading all, you're going to be heading back to Ecuador at some point. Yeah, hopefully, God willing. Um, we'll, we'll know within the next week. So, Good luck with that, man. I'll see you at the um, I'll see you at Sport HQ, anyways. And guys, Sport HQ is where I do a training session with some young kids. Hugo comes out and helps me out. We actually use the Anytime Soccer Training application 
And Hugo, I know you got to be agreeable. I, I, I don't want to strangle you on Zoom, but you can say that you were pretty impressed with the thoroughness of the app, right? Right. I, I, will, I will say when I first met you and we talked about football, I was kind of, I was kind of hesitant as to whether you would know like what you're talking about. And, you know, you talk to parents. So I feel like that's true. When you, when you meet the typical American and you're talking about the sport, your first, your first thoughts are, I don't think they're very well educated in the game, but the set, when I saw how you were running drills and trainings and you remember Luke. Yes. Yeah. So I trained with Luke every day, like five, six hours. And we, we both said the same thing. We we're like, okay, when it comes to training kids, like Neil's, he knows what he's doing because at the end of the day, these kids just need the small touches. That's really it. Just learning how to use every single part of your foot is the most important thing because I didn't learn how to do that until I was 17 or 18. And that hindered me like a lot. So thank you for that. And what I, I really appreciate that. And what I tell people all the time is I am one very small part of the progression. So I have these conversations with folks all the time and they're like, Oh, they need to be out free playing. Oh, they need to be doing stuff that's game related. Of course, of course, this goes without saying, of course. And that's oxymoron. I said it goes without saying, and I said it three times. Of <laughs> course, you have to do all that stuff. Right. But there is, in the States especially, I can only speak from my experience, there's this hesitation to do what I call to tell the kids, the dirty work. Mm-hmm. Because parents are watching, you know, they want to see the kids doing rondos. They want to see the kids. And I'm like, I get that. And that's important. Yeah. But it has to be on a foundation of balance, coordination, ball manipulation with any part right. of the foot, any part of the body, confidence, then yeah. all that other stuff will blossom. Right. And that's a long transition. And I use the technology to try to remove out some of my own personal biases. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's just a pro- process. And I did a video um, two weeks ago. I'm going to share it again about one of our students, a five year old who were doing a TikTok um, competition against another young kid that just started who's seven and she blew him out of the water. Mm. Not, not because she's going to be the next messy, but she's been working on these fine touches. She's right. confident and she knows what she's doing and she's yeah. only five. Yeah. And so, you know, do I want you doing that for 10 hours? No, but a solid hour of getting those touches in followed by 15 minutes of free play. Yeah. It's great. Right. That's my soapbox, Hugo. You've been very gracious with your time, man. We're going we're gonna to stay up with you. You're in the Facebook group. Feel free to post uh, videos whenever or updates on to what, what you're doing and where you're at. And even if what you're doing is nothing, that's, in, that's important too for, so, so for our young people to know. Yeah. Here's an example of someone who tried and that didn't work out. And this is now what I'm doing. That's fine too. Yeah. I hate when people only share quote unquote success stories. Yeah. a false impression of how there's hard this grind is there's more failures and <laughs> I've been, yeah i've been rejected by more clubs than more clubs have said yes to me so yeah so thank you learn about the failures as well all right guys this has been another edition of inside scoop let's get better together thank you <laughs>